Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Where is it you feel just the safest? Where is it you just feel like you can be just you? Where is it that you feel like, you know, you're able to just kind of just be who you feel like you want to be, you know? I, you know, when no one's looking kind of thing, you know? At home is that kind of place for me, you know, where you feel like you just kind of take off all the masks that at home that where you can just, you know, I, I wear stuff I would not wear here at home. Is anyone else like that? Yeah. You will never, ever see me in a pair of tracksuit pants anywhere else other than home. I'm sorry for those tracksuit pant lovers in life, but you know. But I just, you feel, you, you get around, you, you, you get in, in gear that you wouldn't get in with elsewhere. You just feel comfortable, you feel safe, you feel with people that you know, that they know you, that love you, and you just feel like you're in this warm place of, of belonging, a sense of a place where, you know, it's just, you know, where the heart is, it's been described as. Home is that place where the heart is. And I think there's few words that tug on our heart like that word home because it brings for us that sense of security, that sense of safety, that sense of belonging. I once heard it said that home is a place where you can talk all you want because really no one's listening. (laughs) Home's a place where, where we long to be loved. Someone once said this, said home is one place in the world where the heart's are sure of each other. Isn't that beautiful? Hearts are sure of each other. It's a place of confidence. It's the place where we tear off the mask of guarded and suspicious coldness that the world forces us to wear in self-defense and where we pour out the unreserved communications of full and confiding hearts. Wow, that's beautiful. A place where we tear off the mask that we feel like we're forced to wear when we're with everybody else. So a place where with full and confided hearts we can communicate with one another. Because it's a safe place. It's a, it's a place where we belong. You know, we're actually designed to be in those sort of places. We're designed to be able to be in a community where we feel at home, in places where we would feel safe and loved. You know, after the first needs of survival are met, you know, food, shelter, water, all that sort of stuff, you know, the most driving thing in in humans is the need for belonging. That need for belonging will drive us towards things that, that, that want to make us feel in that place of security, that place of safety, that place where we know that we belong. And, and sometimes we fill that with all sorts of other things that we think are going to bring contentment and a sense of belonging. We fill it with wealth. We fill it with possession. We fill it with, you know, a position and plaudits and all these other things and the, the hope. But actually, all we really want is to belong. We just want to be loved. To be in friendship, to be in family, to have meaningful, loving, lasting relationships. And really that shouldn't be too much of a surprise because if, if you've at least gone anywhere near the Bible, it's kind of like the ultimate call is for us to find that sense of belonging in the one who actually made us, our creator God. 
And if you look right back to the beginning in Genesis, uh, you see this way in which he created us and designed us to be in relationship with himself and in relationship with others. And you get to this wonderful passage, Jesus says, um, and, and God and the Father and the Holy Spirit have, have together just created the, the world around it. And, and, and they've, they've looked at everything and they've said how beautiful it is, how good it is. And then they get to this point in the creation of the world where they create man and they breathe life into him. And then he's in charge of this beautiful creation to tend and look after it. And, and his identity is found in the fact that he is a, a, a made being in the image of God. And, and, and there he finds himself. And then we get this most stunning verse in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, which says, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Wow. This is paradise. Everything is good. God even stopped on the, and said, well, this is very good. Look what, look what we've done. I mean, sin's not yet come into the world. There's nothing broken. There's nothing falling. But God is all of a sudden identifying something's missing. Something's missing. And it speaks to this idea that we are not just made for alone, a relationship with our creator. We were made so that we might have first and foremost a relationship with our creator so that we would be in relationship with one another. There would be community. Just being in isolation with God is not okay. It doesn't mean there aren't moments of isolation, doesn't mean there aren't moments of solitude, but it speaks to the fact that we are not designed to live in isolation. Paradise isn't a place. The community of perfect belonging is human paradise. Paradise isn't a place. It's not somewhere that you can flip over in a travel guide to and try to hope to find, to save up enough money one day to go to and find yourself in this environment where all, all your dreams are going to come true and all the pain's going to wash away because the waterfalls are beautiful, the temperature is just perfect, there's butterflies flying around, there's a unicorn with a rainbow over the top of it and a pot of gold at the end of it and everything just seems to be paradise. Paradise. The community of perfect belonging. That's human paradise, perfect belonging. God identified a certain need being made in his image, in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this true iron God, this, this eternal, perfect, loving relationship found between uh, the Godhead. Human beings were made in his image, man and woman, are wired for connection and belonging and intimacy, first with God and then with each other. And there's this perfect Belonging as Adam and Eve enjoyed communion, they enjoyed relationship, they enjoyed intimacy with God and each other. There was no shame, there was no fear. They were fully known, they were fully seen. The Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. They were happy in their own skin. No pretense, no mask, no hiding. But by the end of Genesis chapter 3, the story flips up. It changes. 
they sin. They become afraid of God. They become afraid of each other. Perfect community and belonging was replaced with a, a stir, string of other things that would try to replace what was designed in experience with God and with one another. The tree of life, this intimacy, intimacy with God was replaced with the tree of knowledge, this independence, this judgment, this self-centeredness. Dominic Muir puts it this way. He says, to the degree that we are still hiding and failing to manifest our true design, to that degree, shame is robbing us of our true inheritance. It's also robbing the world around us who are supposed to benefit from our God-given role in his story. Shame always looks for a protective covering. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they believed the enemy rather than the truth of the word of God, sounds like Rachel's testimony, right? When you're believing the things that are spoken out from the enemy instead of the truth of what God says, when we do that, we will always look for a protective covering because shame sets in and shame looks to cover something up. What did they do? They immediately grabbed some fig leaves, you know, no longer happy in, and unashamed in their nakedness. They try to cover up. And God actually says, who told you you were naked? God ends up covering their shame, covering their nakedness by the first sacrifice, the blood sacrifice of an animal and covering them with skin. Skins of another being that had to pay the penalty for their shame, for their nakedness. But you know, we're not any different we'll still find a way to cover our shame. Modern society's achievement, wealth, toys, addictions, numbing distractions, seductions, are all the sorts of things where, that we will search for significance apart from Christ, apart from knowing who we are in Him, our truest identity. We desperately need to get free of shame to learn to live in God's plan of intimacy, in his plan of identity and belonging with him and with others. You see, human sin, it just didn't fracture our relationship with God. It fractured our relationship with one another. Adam turns against Eve. Eve turns against Adam. Cain turns against Abel. And we see this fracturing of human relationships just starts spinning out of control. There's distrust, there's insecurity, the shame, the vengeance, the hatred, the resentment. It just starts to flow through the, the community. You see, you cannot separate intimacy with God and relationship with other people. They are deeply connected. This is why when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? He gave two. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Just love on God with everything you have. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, Jesus wasn't prepared to separate the two. He said the way in which you're created in the image of the Father means that you were created to be in relationship with one another. There is a place where you belong. Your identity secure in Him, which gives you a security to be in relationship with others. Where you no longer have to wear a mask. 
Not having that sense of belonging, not having that sense of home, not having that place where we belong, where we're loved, where we're safe, where we're included, where we're accepted, where we matter, where we feel the most. That's, that's where we're wounded the most, when we're not in that place. It's where we feel most isolated, where we feel most afraid, where we feel most insecure. And we cover that up with all sorts of other things, but it's there. See, community is this real paradox because God intended for people to be the solution. But now because of our brokenness, we become the problem. It's broken down. And more and more people are responding out of brokenness, responding out of insecurity, responding out of shame. What happens? There's this disconnect. What happens to Adam and Eve? They, they disconnect. They hide from God. Where are you? Where are you? It's not that the God of the universe who created all things and oversaw the whole thing didn't know where Adam was. Where are you? Why, why are you hiding? Because shame causes us to want to hide, to cover up, to disconnect. We remove ourselves from one another where the healing comes sometimes via one another back into the road of intimacy with God. How do you see yourself? Are you worthy of the best? Are you confident in your own skin? I love the story of the prodigal son, you know that fairly familiar story. You can check it out, Luke chapter 15. It's a fantastic story. Story Jesus tells to highlight the kind of God in whom he is. The love that he has, this reckless, outrageous love that waits, that chases down, that looks for and welcomes back. And when this son who goes away and does his own thing, dismisses the love of the father, finally realizes that's where he needs to be. We get this statement from the father who says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Bring out the best robe. Shame's counterfeit safety and control needs to be dismantled in our lives so that trust and naked, unashamed sonship and daughtership can take root. The antidote to shame is to give over control and stop pretending. Let ourselves be known and loved as we really are by the Father. Intimacy. I've heard it described as into me you see. Intimacy. But there's a better definition. To be fully known and fully accepted. To be fully known and fully accepted. You see, he knows. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, gracious, kind God of this universe. He knows every single thing about you. You cannot hide it like you do from other people. Shame will allow you to cause a separation between you and other people. And it will cause a separation between you and God only by so much that you think you're separate from him. But he is not separate from you because of your shame. Because intimacy, he fully sees you and he fully accepts you. 
One of the best parts about pre-marriage talks I love to give is that sex talk, you know. And couples come in and they're kind of like, oh, you know, and if they've been a good Christian couple, they're really nervous about it all. And, and kind of say, you know, it's kind of going to be awkward because you know why you're going to be fully seen, but you need to know you're going to work towards being fully accepted. Every part of you, fully seen. And we work towards being fully accepted, but nothing and nobody can fully know you and fully accept you just as much as God does. This perfect love of a perfect Father that covers us, it justifies our brokenness. He, he, the, he, he created us to be fully accepted and comfortable in our own skin with Him. And the antidote to shame and every other curse is the gospel. Jesus becomes the one who brings us into intimacy with God. And therefore allows us to be in right state with him, forgiven, loved, identity secure. Allows us then to be able to relate to other people at our best. This is our original design. God's not afraid of our rubbish. The moment we turn to him, he comes running towards us. He throws his arms around us, embraces us, kisses us repeatedly. He kisses you through the pig poo before you have the shower. He kisses you through the pig poo before you have a shower. The prodigal son was out there. He's in the mess. He's in the filth of the world. He realizes it and he's in shame. But the shame, the covering that's over him, literally the pig poo, doesn't stop the gracious, loving father, this prodigal father, running with outrageous, lavish love towards his son and kissing him before he takes the shower. That's you and me. He's not afraid of our rubbish. Our shame does not separate us from him. It's only separating what you think about yourself from him. Rachel's words were, I had to listen to the truth. I had to choose to hear what he was saying about me. If there's anything you hear tonight and take away, he kisses you through the pig poo. That's his outrageous grace. He's waiting for us to turn to him regardless of how much mess in the world and our bad decisions are still stuck to us. And the ring, the robe, the party, they're all on standby for our return. See, shame is self-centered. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's shame. Shame is rooted in the lie that we need to cover up. The lie that we need to perform well in order to deserve or receive God's love and affirmation. That's what shame does. And this type of comparison, this type of thinking that goes on brings feelings of inadequacy. It brings those feelings of shame back because in our own opinion, we'll never measure up. Performance is the lie that we have to do something in order to be valued or be valuable. That's as, that, that performance deal, that's as old as, that's the oldest lie in the book. That's the one that Adam and Eve have fallen for. See, shame partners with fear, and fear partners with control. Shame partners with fear, fear partners with control, pushing us further and further away from the Father and each other. 
And the fruit of shame is fear of intimacy. The fruit of shame is fear of intimacy. You can watch it in the life of a kid who feels shame that they brought on their family. They no longer want to be around their family. They want to run away. They want to do something about it. Shame pushes them away. It doesn't need to. The solution is to receive this robe of righteousness, this justification by faith in Jesus. The solution to shame is the tree of life that was there right at the beginning. It's in Jesus. He is that tree of life we still get to eat of. He who hung naked on the cross in order to rid us of our shame. It's by faith that we receive his righteousness in place of our shame. Your best efforts are redundant. They don't work. Shame says we're flawed and we hide because of our unworthiness. Significance says you're uniquely and beautifully made in the image of a loving father. A purposeful expression of God's creativeness. Wow. In Christ, we really are enough. And this is what Jesus wants to do. This is where he wants to bring us to. There's a guy in the, in the Bible, his name is Zacchaeus. Who knows about Zacchaeus? Just give me a wave Can I come so I don't have to go through the whole story. Okay, and let's do it the other way. Never heard about Zacchaeus in your whole life. I'll give you the, the five. Okay, all right, good, brave, thank you. Zacchaeus is this text collector. Back in the day when Jesus was around, um, there was the, the Jewish community, obviously, which he was a part of. And some of them, they... They worked for the local government. They worked for, uh, not in the strictest sense like our local government, they worked for um, Herod, they worked under the Roman Empire, and they worked to collect taxes. They were, they were despised by the Jewish people. They didn't like them. And Zacchaeus was one of these guys. He's a tax collector. Shame has isolated Zacchaeus from everyone in his life other than probably his own family who are benefiting from him stitching everyone else up on the taxes. He's cheated them. He stole from them. The community hates them. Zacchaeus also has a small man complex. Okay, He's a little tiny man. And he realizes there's something special in the life of Jesus. And so we get this story and we find it in, uh, in Luke chapter 19. Pretty cool story. And so that's the background of who Zacchaeus is. And Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through. So he's not like, I'm entering to stay. He's like, I'm entering, I'm coming through, I'm going to the other side. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Yeah, this is like the royal procession of Harry and Meghan, right? We see, you know, we want to know where they are. They're going to go down this street, then they're going to go down that street, and we're going to line it because that's where the barricades are. We want to get close enough. We might even get a snap. You know, this is what we want to see. And Zach is, this is Jesus. He's walking through. We know he's going to go this way. He's going to go that way. He can't go that way because that leads nowhere. He's going to come down this way. And, and as he does, there's crowds of people. He can't get near. He climbs a tree just so he can see this guy everybody's talking about. A life that's transforming people. When Jesus reached the spot, 
i.e. where Zacchaeus was. And I love this. I love this because this is the heart of Jesus for you and me when we're stuck in our shame and we're brave enough to just want to catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. When we start to want to, to put a, a, an attention point, a, a fixed gaze on who Jesus might be for us in our shame, in our pain, in our inadequacy, in our pig poo, if you like. When we look towards him, look at how Jesus reacts. He already knows that Zacchaeus is there and he stops at that point and he looks up to him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I was passing through, but now I'm staying because of you. I see something in you. Uh, your shame has put you into a place where you, you, you're climbing a tree just to see if you can see me. But I've seen you before you were even looking for me. And I know there's something special in you that I want to draw out. And he says, I must come and stay with you today. Now listen to this. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. You've you got to understand this point. We just drive straight on past it, park the car for a bit, have a look at this statement. Everyone looks at the one they hate. He was half probably up that tree for security reasons, not just because of his height. If he was down amongst the crowd, there could well have been a few that just wanted to, you know, put it in on Zacchaeus for all the times he's ripped them off. He's got rich at our expense. And here he is, this, this guy... And have a look. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What they're really saying is, is, is this. He's welcoming people. That, that word for welcome is not just like a hi or even a handshake or even a hug. That word welcome is you come into my home. I will make myself at home in your home. I will be received by you into your safe, familiar, comfortable space. Jesus wants to be at home with us. Jesus wants to enter into that place we call home. That place where we feel safest, that place where we feel unguarded, we, we feel like we can take the mask off, where we feel like we're going to belong, where we're loved, where, where we know there are others who are after our best intention. Jesus says, I'm coming into your house today. And the result of him coming into his house at the end of that day is that Zacchaeus stands up and he says to the crowd, look, Lord, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. There's change. And Jesus says to him today, salvation has come into this house. You see, when we invite Jesus to be at home in our safe place, he is one, trustworthy to be invited in. And two, takes that safe place and transforms it into what he originally sees you to be. Not who you've put on the mask that shame has driven you away from him, but draws you into the identity in which you were created without having all the cover-ups because of the shame has driven you away from intimacy. Remember, the fruit of shame is not to be intimate. 
It's for us to be isolated, to be separated. And Jesus invites himself into that safe place and he is trustworthy and he transforms and brings life. And it says there at the end of that time, that is not only salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of a man came to seek and the son of man came to seek and save the lost. <laughs> Some people didn't like the fact that Jesus was prepared to spend time with liars and cheaters, adulterers, aggressive, passive, passive aggressive. They're all invited. Jesus welcomes them all to the table. And it just, it didn't just mean that. It, it meant everyone who was broken. Jesus understood that sin is everybody's problem and no one has the power to fix it on their own. Which is why we need a place where broken people can belong. It's why there needs to be at Jesus' table in his family. We need a community where people can safely and clearly with encouragement find hope, find healing. It behoves us as a witness to the world to get rid of shame. Because it'll allow us to become better people with God and find our true security, our identity, our security, our sense of belonging. And then we can be real with each other. And when we're real with each other, we're as we're created to be. Love the Lord God with everything you have, heart, soul, mind, strength, the, the whole works, the whole kit. And then love each other as you love yourself. You cannot love your other people unless you love yourself well. You only love other people to the degree in which you're prepared to love yourself. What does shame do? It isolates you. What did we hear from Steve tonight? It's anxiety. It's depression. It's isolation. Mental illness isolates people like nothing else because it feels like it's a shameful place to be in. Yet so many people actually struggle with it. And Jesus says, I want you to find your identity, your sense of belonging in me. Then you're going to be safe with other people. And when you are safe with others, you're going to be a safe person to get the best out of them. They're going to be safe to be able to walk with them to find healing with one another too. See, this is a win-win situation when we don't let shame win. The power of the cross is the key to community because it re removes shame that destroys intimacy and it brings us back into security of our identity. Life lifting shame, allowing us to walk in righteousness. And when we get that, when we take steps like this, and I know it's a process. I know that's kind of lifelong. It's going to take doing this together. But it leads to this true community. It leads to what Jesus has hoped for us all when he breathed life into the first man. Relationship with the Father in heaven and with one another. That means that church should be a place where you're loved place where you belong if you get to the place where you feel like you're not broken any longer you're broken more than you think where everyone else is the problem and you're not that's just pride 
Talk about the reverse of shame. It's just as destructive. I have the answers. I know the way. I know the truth. I think only one person said that. And for all of us who believe in him, you belong to him. And if we believe in him as a church and we belong to him as a church, then all the communities that make up River Life, all the community groups associated with our church should be homes for people who want to find Jesus. That's the kind of community we want to become together. Goodbye, shame. You're welcome home. Some of you want to say goodbye to shame. Let's do it tonight. Let's do it now. Why wait any longer? It's just tearing you away from each other and away from God. Let's say goodbye to shame. And I want to pray for you. Where you felt lonely, where you felt isolated, where you, even in the timidness that you feel right now about wanting to step out into the light and expose the shame, it's really hard, but it's the best thing. I love Steve's testimony because he's the first fruit of many who have been isolated from the loving community of God but have now found their home. And he's found healing and hope. Yeah. yeah. And so, if that's you, if you want to find your home, if you want to find your identity, if you just want to say, shame, I don't want you to any longer have any control of me, stand to your feet. Don't allow it to just grip you right now. This is going to be a powerful decision. It's not going to feel comfortable right at this moment in time. But don't let shame win. Don't let it win. Don't let it longer isolate you. Stand to your feet if you say, tonight I get rid of the shame. Tonight, I stand where there's places in my life, there's addictions in my life, there's barriers in my life, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's other stuff that's keeping me locked away in bad places, in dark places where shame is having a field day. Expose it to the light and be brave enough to stand in the midst of it now to say, I am not going to let shame win. I want to be intimate with God. I know that when I'm fully known and fully accepted, Jesus comes, He makes His home with me in that safe place. He is trustworthy. So why don't you just hold out your hands just, just as a symbol of giving it, it all. Jesus. This is, this is a Zacchaeus moment. He knew where you'd be right at this point in time, even though you just wanted to maybe take a glimpse tonight. But he knew you'd be right here and he stopped at the appointed time, at the appointed moment, at the appointed place. And he looks to you now and he says, I want to come and make my home with you. Welcome home. So shame, we tell you right now in the name of Jesus, you have no power, no authority. For I was made in the image of God. It's His life that He breathed into me. And by the power of His Spirit, who is alive within me, 
because Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. Shame, you have no control over me. Fear, you have no control over me. Control over me rests in the hands of Jesus, the one who I freely offer my life now to have control over me. God, I just bless every single person who now stands in, in this way. Jesus, we cannot do this without you. We can't do this without knowing that we belong to you, that you have made your home in us, in this place right here. And so we ask you now to bring your grace and your truth and your power into our relationships because we need it so much. Help us to learn to be those who encourage others, who welcome others, who lift up one another. Help us to learn to be those who, who confess and share honestly. Help us learn to be those who might have a, a, a word of encouragement, of truth, lashings of grace added to it to help one another in our community be all that we can be in you. Help us to do everything that, that self-giving love in which you, you yourself lived. Let us become a community. Let us become a, a house, a home in Brisbane. Would see the glory and the goodness of your Son alive and well in us for the sake of your glory. I pray that we just get better and better at this idea of family. I pray that when shame rears its ugly head this week in and over your life, that you reject that lie and you remind yourself of the truth of who's come to stay at your house, of who's at home in your safe place, who fully sees you and fully accepts you just the way you are and only has desire to bring you to a whole new way of righteousness, a whole new way of living life in His power and His authority, in His promises, into His security. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, Contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.